Welcome to Building Fortunes Radio. Make sure you check us out at buildingfortunesradio.com. Along with our marketing partners, we're here to help our PM Marketing Network Lead customers build their businesses and make the world a better place. At Building Fortunes, we know how much your business means to you and the people important to you. So spread the word, tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world. Now on to our show with your host, Peter Mingles. Hello, everyone. Peter Ringles here. You're listening to us live on Building Fortunes Radio. That's www.buildingfortunesradio.com. For those people unfamiliar with my voice, my name is uh, Peter Mingles. There's my voice still. And every once in a while, we get a chance to grab Scott Warren on one of our live radio shows. And tonight is one of those great events. Scott is a gentleman who's been a lawyer in the MLM world and other areas for a really, really long time. It's been over 20 years, I know. I met him as a result of some of the work that we were doing with the trade associations of this industry. I think I first met him, maybe got a chance to shake his hand when we were doing this stuff with the Distributor Rights Association or maybe even the MLMIA. But it's been a really, really, really long time, and I always welcomed Scott Warren on the legal panels that we had and any conference calls that we did because he was level-headed, explained everything in a very matter-of-fact, kind of very simple-to-understand way, and overall he's a really good guy. So he's a dad. He's got some boys in college now, like kids grow up and everything else like that. We've done radio shows before on his, I think it was his wife's birthday or maybe his birthday where he's sneaking into the bedroom to be able to do our radio show as well. So he's a, he's a good sport, and he jumps on our radio show to be able to talk about some of the things that are happening in the industry. And this is our very first radio show of 2018, so I asked him to be on a little bit early. We usually do this on the first, the third, and if there's a fifth Monday of every month, but this one is the second Monday, but I wanted to be able to get some news out there relatively early in advance because there's some things happening. Besides being a partner in w-wlaw.com, so you would go to w-wlaw.com, he also recently inked a book, and that is called Schemes and Scams. And we did a radio show specifically on that, and he was really super nice to be able to send me a book as well on that, and I find it really very interesting. And it doesn't just talk about MLM. It talks about lots of different types of things, so you can kind of find the common ground relative to the different schemes and scams that are out there. And I just always like to say welcome to Scott Warren. So, Scott, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, I, I bet you don't have any listeners tonight from Georgia or Alabama, since they're all they watching could, football. They could be watching football. Oh. That's true. That's true. They, well, they probably are, but they could be watching football and listen to us at the same time. That's I suppose. true. Yeah, they could be. Or they catch the replay. So for those people that and listen, by the way, your introduction. Yes, sir. your introduction um, about how long we've known each other and how long I've been doing this basically mm-hmm. just made me feel old. I, you know, I was thinking about that, too. I was thinking about that because, you know, we start thinking about old and, like, you have kids in college. Like, holy crap, yep. how the, how the hell did you have kids in college? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, when did this happen? But, exactly. you know, we'll segue, we'll segue this in. Even though we get older, the stuff that we talk about is always sometimes the same thing, just a slightly yep. different story. And that's the you part that's it is. And it's old. the same basic scenario, just a new vehicle. That's all it is. Yep. So for all those people listening in, I mean, we've been doing this for a really long time. And I know for me it's been 20 years in this industry, 19 – I'm sorry, 12 years even before that in the uh, direct sales world. You've been doing this stuff for most of your adult life. 20, and, 25 uh, years. Yeah, so we've seen all of these things kind of go round and round, and they have these what I call PPs, the predictable patterns. Now, the, some of the drama may change, some of the actors may change, but they really do follow very predictable patterns. So if you listen into this radio show, you should not really be uh, fooled, if you will, or scammed by some of these things that are out there, or if you are, because sometimes even good people get scammed in different things based on some preliminary things. I'm going to talk about some of that as we go. But if you do, you're going to be less likely to be scammed, and hopefully you won't go all in like some of uh, the people that we might reference on this radio show did. And now they've, they've lost retirement accounts. They're losing 
you know, uh, they have huge credit card bills. They probably lost some stuff from other people's money as well. And they're in a real world of hurt. And sometimes it takes a decade, if not ever, to be able to recover from some of these things. So, Scott, I'll let you kind of kick it off if you wanted to talk about whatever we want to talk about on this one. Or why don't you tell people a little bit about the book first? So I don't want to drop well, – I don't want to get wrapped well, up in everything. Just, tell people about the books. I think you just did. I mean, that's basically it. I wrote the book as a collection of little vignettes of schemes, different schemes and scams that show that there's patterns and to, to show that not, not only, I mean, it's, you know, somebody asked me if I was involved in each of them in some way. And I said, look, the first one that I wrote about is 300 BC. So no, <laughs> but even since, you know, since the, the dawn of man, basically the scams have been the same. And the pattern always seems to come out the same. So I thought if I could put a vignette together where little things change, you know, the actors change, the trust factor changes, the the um, product, if you will, or, or lack thereof changes. But the basic premise behind it generally stays pretty much the same. And so if I could put enough examples together with twists and turns and a little bit of mystery and intrigue to some of them, that maybe people would spot that and avoid getting involved in them. So yep. that was and, the whole uh, premise of the book. And it's a great book. It's a great read, too. And the, one of the cool things is you don't have to read the whole book to get it. You can literally read a couple of pages and there's a story, and then a couple of other pages and read a story. So you can read it while you're at the bus stop, you know, at the train station, whenever you're doing anything, you know, grabbing a, grabbing a bite to eat. You can do any or all those things and get a nice little snippet and be able to go back to it. And there's not necessarily an order. Like, you could start wherever you start. Pick a topic that you like, and then you're not going to be missing out anything because you started in the middle. So it's a really great book. You can find it in lots of places, um, Amazon, of course, and then also I think you can find it. Scott, can they buy it on the website? W you can buy it on w my website, and you can buy it actually in crypto uh, you, on my website. Cool. So, All right. And then um, you can buy it on Amazon in regular paperback or in um, – digital form so and then I'm, I'm speaking okay. this weekend at an event oh. and any of the events that i go to people have them there so excellent very good so um uh let's uh kick it off and you mentioned the thing cryptocurrency you know yep. there's this little expression if it's too good to be true it probably is and in the mlm world i playfully say you know the mlm slogan is if it's too good to be true you gotta get in you know or you better get in you gotta get in quick so, <laughs> so there's so that's a golden rule, you know, kind of. But realistically speaking, there, there have been a lot of examples in cryptocurrency world where people did get in early. They were early adopters. They bought, you know, Bitcoin or any other kind of coin relatively early on. They talk about hundred times returns, thousand time returns, ten thousand time returns. And those are the Cinderella fairy tale stories, but they're real. That's the problem. They, those kinds of stories that are real raise that level of doubt, and I think that's part of the confidence game that some of these scammers or scamming opportunities are taking advantage of uh, people's ability to see that hint of trueness, although it's, it's kind of weird. You've got to kind of separate it out. So I'll let you um, kick it off, but I wanted to bring up Cryptocurrency, if you will, combined with MLM of any sort or any kind of an opportunity. And then let's talk about some of the recent things that might have happened with um, uh, the USI, uh, USI Tech, which is a network marketing company, and also BitConnect. So if you want to kick it off there, I'll just kind of get you started. Sure. Well, one of the things, you don't really have to even do the combination of, of crypto and MLM to get the same issues. Really what the regulators are looking at, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at it, with crypto, since there's been these ICO, ICO explosion, which is initial coin offerings, which are just like initial offering stock option or stock offerings, and, but they weren't regulated. So you could go out and raise as much money as you want and on, these, on, on your coins that you've developed yourself that are not traded on the third-party market you know, an exchange is what they're called, and you can set the price for them yourself. 
And then you manipulate the price yourself. And there were so many of these, in which most of them were fraudulent and scams, that the government said, hey, well, we've got to start regulating this. So the government went back and really they used a case from the 1940s that, called the Howey case, which is a test. There's, it's a four-factor test to determine if it's a security or not. And so you really don't have to combine the MLM aspect of it. They just looked at the crypto aspect of it and said, if it meets all four of these prongs, it's a security, and then it's either got to be registered or it's got to be exempt. Well, when they went through this and started doing this evaluation, what they found in the cases that they did, which were like Zen Miner um, and uh, Munchie, what, what they found was that they were lying to people that they didn't have the hashing power, the computing power that they said they had, that they weren't giving the people what they promised them they, they were giving them, and they went after them. Uh, I'm involved with a company now that promised people, that, and including myself, that they had 70,000 computers, which is what they sold. They showed them to us. turns out they only had 24,000. So... When they go after these people as a security, they're not even getting to the point of having to do a a, a securities lawsuit. They're finding that they're actually Ponzi schemes. And, you know, the newest ones that you brought up, I mean, U.S. ITEC was promising. It's a typical Ponzi argument. They promised a 1% return on investment per day. Anybody, I tell people this all the time, anybody that promises you a guaranteed return on investment is when you should stop and walk away because it's a Ponzi scheme. No one can guarantee you a return on investment. You may get into some coin like a Bitcoin or a Ethereum or Litecoin that goes, you know, nuts, a Ripple. But, the, you know, I, bought, I personally bought Ripple at two cents. And I said, oh, great, it went to $0.40, cents and I sold it. I should have held on to it because it's now $3, I think. But that's, those, those stories are out there. But those stories don't happen generally with the companies that control their own, their own coin, and it's not on an exchange. And it, they don't happen from a coin that gives or a, pers- a company that gives you a guaranteed return on investment, whether they're mining Bitcoin or any other coin or their own coin. If they guarantee you a return on investment, they are saying basically that we we know it's going to go up 365% a year. Well, that's not realistic, and so then the question becomes, well, where are they getting it? Especially when in U.S. ITEX case they said they they didn't even try to hide it they said Our, your one percent return on investment is not tied to bitcoin whether it goes up or down in other words it's completely tied to us getting more investors and so those things those kind of things that happen are very typical of ponzi schemes and probably makes the sec more emboldened to go after legitimate companies that are trying to do things right because every time they they go after one of these, it seems, they don't even have to go into the full evaluation. They just start, and all of a sudden it unravels right in front of their eyes, and it's a Ponzi scheme. So, I mean, that's where we're at with this whole thing. There we go. So for those people that have never heard of the Howey test before, it's spelled H-O-W-E-Y. And a simple search engine search will give you the four-prong questions. Oh, I'll give and, them to you. Yep, there we I go. So, yeah, so, so go, go ahead and then uh, okay, this way I'll give them to you very yeah. I'll give them to you in a in a non-technical sort of way without going in depth on them. But the first one is an investment of money, and generally the first one is always it, it it's always met because generally you, you're buying something. Even legitimate company, right? So even legitimate an investment of money. Right, but you have to to meet all – to to meet the Howey test, you have to meet all four prongs. So pretty much everybody meets prong one. Prong two is a common enterprise, which means that it has to be a group of people together 
doing something. And they, th- that one's pretty complex because there's multiple ways that they look at it in different courts around the country. They have a horizontal method, a vertical method, and this strict vertical method. And all three of them are a little bit different, and they change the evaluation based on the jurisdiction. The third one is an expectation of profits. Now, this is a big one with crypto because the SEC's position is why would anybody invest if they weren't thinking it's going to go up in value? My argument to that is the same argument I would make with gold, that there's a class of society out there that does not trust the fiat currencies of the world or the banking the banking industry or the governments and they're looking for a a currency that they can use anywhere in the world that's going to be stable and that they can count on no matter what happens with governments so my argument would be in in many cases that the expectation of profits is not there with with the people that are doing it however when you hear these companies talk that's all they talk about is the promise of profits. So they, they kind of shoot themselves in the foot there. And then the fourth one is that it's solely from the efforts of the promoter or others, solely from the efforts of others. So if you do nothing to make the value go up, usually prong three and four, the expectation of profits is combined with solely for the efforts of others, solely from the efforts of others. Because if if you invest your money, it's generally usually called a passive investment. If you invest your money with someone for it to go up in value and you do nothing, they do everything, it, that meets both prongs. So it's not a very hard test to meet all four prongs for. It's actually a, a harder test to be creative to make it so that you don't meet those prongs or to be you know, set up right. It's, it's right. easy so the, to meet all four is, prompts. Right. So the thing with the Howey test is there are things in this world that all those four things happen when I buy Apple stock. You know, I'm not going to sit here and make Apple phones. You know, I don't do anything that's to right. promote Apple. Uh, but that's Apple stock. So there's lots of things that fit this Howey test, but they have to be what? They have to be registered as securities or well, registered – so go ahead, yeah, if you meet the Howey test, you either need to be registered as a security, which Apple stock is, or any any publicly traded stock is is registered with the SEC. Um, the or you have to have an exemption. And it, one of the big arguments right now for companies is this sharing hashing power, which is a it's it's a you know what happened with these guys and with the with others. And if you're sharing hashing power and putting it all together, well, the reason you're sharing hashing power generally is because people can't afford the whole, the whole mining rig themselves. So they want to buy a partial mining. Well, if you're buying partial mining because you can't afford a, a full mining rig, you probably are not an accredited investor. And generally the exemptions to the securities laws require people to be accredited investors, which means you have a certain net worth and certain sophistication in investments. So generally, the exemption part of it is is probably not an, not going to be a saving grace for companies try, in, that are doing MLM and crypto. The whole idea is you get in cheap. And the reason you get in cheap is because you're hoping to get a return on investment and without spending a lot because you don't have a lot. Right. So the concept here, let's talk about, um, let's use, I guess, we'll use an example of a USI tech without using them specifically, maybe, because a lot of them fall into this category. So there's the story about how you get started for a little bit of money, and then all of a sudden you're going to get this 1% return on investment. And uh, I think in the case of USI tech, it was, you know, they give you back your money at 1% basically for the first 100 days. And then the next 40 days are going to be where you get your interest right from. So they promise you a return on your investment of 140%. And then, of course, it always gets into the idea, well, you really don't want your money back. You want to reinvest. So you keep buying more packs. And then if you get people in because you can help perpetuate the business, 
uh, you're going to get a percentage commission on things along that line. And those are really the, the, the gray areas or the blatantly bad areas uh, where people get themselves in trouble. Um, in reference to this, though, they seem to really catch fire, meaning those things usually seem to go like crazy for a while. And everybody makes money, and everybody means everybody. Everybody makes money because of that passive element, and then all of a sudden they don't anymore. So what is it about the nature of this Ponzi element that causes everybody to make money, and then all of a sudden they don't anymore? And that's part of the challenge too, because everywhere you look, this guy's making money, this guy's making money, you're making money, at least on paper or in digital forms in your back office, and then they don't anymore. Why don't they anymore? What is the magical thing that triggers the end? Well, once, the, once less people start coming in, the money dries up, and they can't pay out the commissions, and, and therefore and, – and either they're, they're figuring – and if the, if the crypto that they're investing in goes down at all, then they're doomed because they're, what they're doing is they're subsidizing their portion from their portion of profits. They're subsidizing, if it goes down, the, the losses. But the, if, it, if it stays stagnant, they're okay. If it goes down a little, they're probably okay. If it goes down a lot or it stays stagnant for any number of days, there's no profit there for the company. And, so, and people aren't as enthused about joining because they're all looking at the the exchanges and seeing the numbers go up. And if they're not enthused, less people come in, less packages are purchased, and all of a sudden there's not enough money to pay out what was promised. Right. So usually it gets big enough where they can't hold their breath, if you will, for very long. So if there's a disruption in the technology, if there's some kind of a legitimate problem like a hack, or some kind of a problem with a bank or a vendor or something else, or if there's a slowdown in recruits like you had mentioned, or maybe some of the challenges associated with maybe a government agency like the SEC, then all of a sudden they can't survive for very long. Like they, right. they go down quick because of the massive amount of people they have to pay out. Let's talk a little bit about, if you will, the recent actions of the security exchange. So what does the SEC do? Well, first – well, the SEC can do any number of things, but first let me comment on what you just said a second sure. ago. Two of the examples you used were, if I can remember now, I can't remember what I had for dinner a half an hour ago, so um, bear with me. No, you you said Te technology glitches, oh hacking, um, or, hacking, or banking issues. Generally, those are not real. In most cases, when they start saying, "Hey," We have to slow. We can't pay out because we were hacked, or we can't pay out because we have a banking issue. That's generally not true. In most in most cases, it's made up by the company, and it's because they couldn't pay out, and so they're making excuses, and that's the beginning of the end, generally. But back to and the then, SEC. And then what happens? Right. Then what happens is the run on the money. Anybody that can get yep. their money out then does, it out quick. and then it's over. Yep. Then it's over. The, the which, which is the same reason. Any, oh, yeah, it's the same reason why banks don't allow you to take out all your money at one time. Or if there was a run right. on the money, the banks would shut down. And you know, we could talk about that. As, and that's one of the reasons why there's cryptocurrencies, because people are afraid of if there's ever any kind of a problem with the banking industry, there'd be a run on the money. Or just like what happened that, with the financial collapse. That's one reason. Another reason is people don't want to pay their taxes. And sure. since crypto. Has has anonymity in, in in most cases, and it it and it's not liquid. It's not even considered a currency. It's considered property, so it's not really valued until you sell it. That people think they can avoid their taxes, which you know is is likely from one country to another even is likely tax evasion. So that and that's why we haven't even seen getting, that bubble. Yeah, we haven't no. even seen that bubble yet. But that's why governments are getting so involved. All the governments are becoming more aggressive on it and putting out statements anti-crypto. It's not because they're against crypto. In fact, most of these countries want to start their own cryptocurrency, including our own. But it's because they're not getting their peace, and the government wants its piece of the action. 
And so if everybody was honest and paid their taxes based on what they did, the government would be fine with crypto. But since people don't, they, they're not fine with it. But anyway, back to your SEC question. What, can the, what does the SEC do? The SEC can do any number of things. They can do an inquiry. They can subpoena records and just question people. They, um, they can issue a cease and desist. Most of the time that's state level, not federal, uh, which just means stop what you're doing. We're investigating. Usually the cease and desist is the first step before a lawsuit or an investigation. Um, and, and an investigation, you know, nothing may come out of it, but something comes out of it even when nothing does because there could be nothing done wrong, but it certainly is disruptive to the company and and scares off a lot of potential distributors or members or investors or whatever they are in whatever the case is. So the the just the power of investigation is frightening enough to most people in in the business. The um they can or they can come in immediately and shut you down, seize assets. There there's you know their um their powers are are daunting frankly. They they don't really answer to anybody. And they have unlimited subpoena power where they can demand your records, demand everything without ever filing a lawsuit against you. So, you know, there's an old right. saying so, that the, the bureaucracy must get bigger and bigger to feed the ever-expanding bureaucracy. That's that's what it is. So, Right. So now what the SEC can't do is the SEC can't arrest you, right? I think that has to be done by somebody else. The so SEC by the Depart- does not have a policing ability. They use the Department of Justice for that and they use the FBI as their investigative agency. So the thing is, like the first blow, if you will, would be a cease and desist from the SEC. That's kind of like a test of, okay, you've got 30 days to answer this, and uh, you're on notice. And yeah, typically if we... with the SEC, typically mm-hmm. with the SEC, a cease and desist is not the first step. The first okay. step from the SEC is generally an investigation, which would be subpoenas for records or subpoenas for documents. And then after their investigation, if they find nothing or if you, if, if, if you're cooperative and, and clean, then the, the next step is basically you sign some consent decree with a slap on the wrist and you, and you pay them a small fine and you move, move, move along. If they do find stuff, and since they're they're basically cops, and they're looking to find stuff, and they believe that you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent, that that's it's it's an absolute opposite of the standards of the of the Constitution. You are guilty until you prove yourself innocent in the eyes of the SEC or the FTC or any of those agencies, because they're bureaucrats. Again, they don't answer to anybody. They weren't elected. They don't have to worry about losing their jobs or funding or anything like that. So the, the first step is usually an investigation, a subpoena, and it usually drags on. It's usually month after month before anything happens. If, if they see something particularly egregious, like in the case of USI Tech with the Texas Securities and Exchange Commission, it's a state agency, not a federal agency. The state of Texas Securities Commission gave them a cease and desist letter, which is immediate. It's not you've got 30 days to stop doing this. It's stop now because we know there's something egregious here and people are being hurt. That's generally that, – that's where you get into you know, something after that, something big is coming. There's going to be a lawsuit. There's probably a referral out to the Department of Justice for criminal, criminal prosecution or something like that when, when it's egregious. But generally with the federal SEC, there's – you can tell when they it's very egregious because they'll slap you with an immediate cease and desist. The U.S. Marshals come in, seize assets. With with a typical SEC matter, there's a subpoena, there's subpoenas issued and there's an investigation that's somewhat time consuming. 
So in essence, what happened with USI Tech, although we don't know all the details, is they were obviously in uh, a world of hurt based on this temporary or this uh, cease and desist. And they decided, the company decided, that they were going to shut down U.S. and Canada operations. So for whatever reason, we're not there, so we don't know why, but they decided that they were going to do that. And that meant that there's a lot of distributors that are now wondering if they're ever going to get paid. Um, They've already been told that you have to kind of scrub the Internet and scrub everything you know, basically like you never existed. So I would consider that almost like hiding the evidence. So that was part of the thing. And it's against, by the way, that's completely against the cease and desist order. You Mm -hmm. are supposed to, you are required to preserve everything and not delete anything. So, and, and they, I know you, everybody out there is saying they decided on their own to shut down Canada and the U.S. That's a misnomer. They were served with an immediate emergency cease and desist order from the government, which basically said, you are shut down. And then the next day, Canada issued the same thing. So they were shut down by those two. They didn't have a choice. I mean, this was not a, hey, will you please cease and desist while we investigate and not build anymore. This was an emergency cease and desist letter to a judge saying they are out there harming the public and they need to be stopped immediately. So they were given no choice as to whether to shut down or not. The way they phrase it in their letters, which, by the way, is publicly available, uh, it it was like we're shutting down the United States and Canada, and then we need you to scrub scrub the Internet and scrub everything so you never existed because you've now been terminated, so you don't work for us anymore. And they also said uh, we're going to consider – paying you on some of the things that we owe you, but we've got to do some preliminary investigation to be able to find the offenders, and we might actually go after some of the offenders or hold their pay or not pay them, and we'll know in a couple of weeks. Which to yeah, me, what, I find, what I find disgusting yeah. about the whole thing is that the letter that they put out, their statement that they put out, instead of taking responsibility for what they did, blamed it on the distributors. Correct. With which is complete nonsense. It's, it's, it's just, I mean, I, seeing that is, is really sickening. Now, I have, um, I have a question, uh, because as I've been looking through some of the things related to, you know, how did they get this far? How did so many people get sucked into this? There were some times where I saw, I think it was the owner of the company, actually on stage with a microphone saying, We've been we've hired the legal minds of previous SEC people in a law firm, and they found us to be completely compliant in the United States. So we have been approved to do business in the United States. So when regular people, even smart people, business people, hear the owner of the company singing the praises of a law office that they hired that gave them either legal opinion or come to some conclusion that they are legal in every jurisdiction in every country that these people are in, that throws a conflict in the mind of the credibility. You just say to yourself, wait a minute, the company said that there was a lawyer behind it, and the company said there's a legal firm behind it, so it must be valid or it must be okay. They must be whatever. So what are your thoughts about when those things happen um, well, and people are looking to do their due diligence or, or do some kind of homework? Kind of twofold. One the law in this area is really evolving in front of our eyes. I mean, it's the, the, the same thing that people thought was going to be, be the law even three weeks ago isn't where the SEC is at with it now. I had a meeting with the SEC a few weeks ago and brought up a, an issue with them, and they said their response was, oh, sure, that's our public position, but our private position is different. Well, that's not fair to consumers or to any company even. If if you're going to come out with a public statement of what your position is on something and yet in private you believe something else and now you're going to prosecute people based on that, that's not fair. So that part of it's wrong from that standpoint. But the SEC did put out a statement a month ago saying that we will be looking at taking action against accountants um, and brokers and attorneys 
for giving bad advice to companies, thus getting people involved in in something that is a security that's unlicensed. I think a lot of it with the government is as far as people getting ripped off and prosecuted, things like that, is the intent of the company. When they look at these companies and they see, you know, it's a first of its kind, let's say, uh, you know, and they and they say, okay, well, we didn't really, the law wasn't clear, give me a slap on the wrist, everybody go, go along with your business, just tweak, fix things. Versus when they start, when they do an initial investigation into one of these deals, and the example that I gave earlier, that 70,000 computers were sold, there's only 24,000 in existence. When they see that, it's, it's the gloves come off, and they say, forget the securities aspects of this. This is a Ponzi scheme. And once they do that, th- then, then everybody's ripped off, and most of the time, the brokers, the attorneys, the accountants, everybody – is blindsided because they didn't know this was happening. You look at documents when you're in that position, and and you look at you know what what you're being told by the company and what documents you see and things like that, and you don't know if they're actually doing that in practice or if they're cooking the books. So most of the time, I wouldn't I I wouldn't pay much credence to it. I guess. I think uh-huh. that you have to do your own due diligence and independently. And, you know, I tell people on every investment, every, not just crypto, if you can't afford to lose it, don't do it. Right. So as a golden rule or as a guideline, you don't even need to know most of the things that we said on this conversation. As soon as people start talking about a return on investment – you should be thinking to yourself, now tell me if I'm wrong, and I'll, 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 I'll say, okay, I guess I'm wrong about this. But anytime people start talking about a return on the investment, you should immediately think that this is, might be an investment contract, a security, and they need to be registered. Would that be a safe enough assumption? Like That's a good starting every, point, yeah. Almost every time. That's, and if it's it a very looks, good starting point. If it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, seems like it's always like a duck, and and they're not registered, and they're big, and they're not registered with the SEC, I would say run like hell because not only can you lose your money, you know, like you said, you know, if you can't afford to lose your money, but could people, and this is a transition to my next question, could some people be potentially in harm's way with getting their money clawed back, maybe even facing prosecution? So sure. could that be a possibility? Sure, you're back in a Zeke Rewards kind of position. You know, it doesn't matter. You're just talking about a different product. It's that's really what the crypto is. The 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 beauty of the crypto world, and the reason it's taken off so much in the MLM world, is because the product itself has the potential to make money, not the investment. So, your most people that I've seen in the last six months that are joining crypto-based companies are not network marketers. They're not in it to build a network. They're in it to buy the crypto, to mine the crypto, to get the crypto in the hopes that it's going to go up in value. Right. Which Big would difference have, between lotions oh, and potions. Right. Big motivation is, in, is the return on the investment or the investment itself or the opportunity to be able to make a killing when the – like the you back said, end. The, yeah, when Ripple goes from two cents to forty cents, so they can, you know, whatever. Now, yeah, but the people that are out there promoting it with a guaranteed return on investment, those words right there are should be. That's where everybody should. That's when you should run. When you hear guaranteed return on investment, because that's not coming from the crypto. That's coming from somewhere else. Right and. In those examples, that's the typical thing with a Ponzi scheme. New money is paying off old promises. That's right. So they'll last for a while, but I don't think there's ever been a Ponzi scheme that ever got big that lasted forever. No. So everything is just a matter of time. Yeah, you could read about those in my book. (laughs) There you go. Absolutely. Some of the longest-running ones ever are in there. 
and now, that's about we, ten years. Now there's going to be a there's going to be a little bit of a double whack to some people that are getting involved in the crypto industry. Some of the fallacy that um, you could do all this stuff, not have to worry about taxes, um, and that was never the case, and will probably come to bite some people based on you know what the IRS has done to Coinbase. Um, being able to try to retrieve the the figures from the tax from the top earners or the top people that have been moving around the cryptocurrencies of any nature, so the reality was is that you were supposed to claim if you made a profit, but hardly anybody did, and the IRS is saying <laughs> hardly anybody did relative to the number of people that are playing this game, and they just recently came down with harder regulations, I guess in the Donald Trump or more clarified uh, regulations, I guess, with Donald Trump's new tax bill, which is really, I think, going to be sending a shockwave through a lot of people that are the just, you know, the investor wannabes, the people that really are just kind of playing with these money games, and they're probably not going to be very good at dealing with accountants. So do you want to talk about any of the tax ramifications moving forward of whether you're in an MLM deal or just cryptocurrency in general? Sure. Um I mean, it's it has nothing's really changed. It's always been taxable. The problem with crypto, from a taxation standpoint, is one there's anonymity on these sites, but there's not anonymity anonymity on the exchange sites. You have to put in your KYC information so that and so that you're to prevent terrorism, basically. But they've got your information. Coinbase is probably the best at at helping the investors, the the coin owners, because they've sent out notices to people saying, pay your taxes, don't forget to pay your taxes. And what they've done in addition to that is they give you, you can set up for any of the coins that Coinbase handles, you can set up a cost basis analysis, and it will give you a report for your cost basis for your for what you've put in so that you know and you can track your your sales and then you can tell what your profit for capital gains is which is different than most of the exchanges most of the exchanges are counting on the fact that people are just going to be honest and figure it out on their own well one of the problems for the general public is that's involved in it is most people don't know what their cost basis is that they bought it at so it's you can't even tell and the the cost basis minus or the the sale price minus the cost basis is your taxable income versus it's not always what you sold it for that's your taxable income it's what you sold it for minus what you paid for it and so now with that tool cost or coinbase is making it possible for people to pay their taxes what people are counting on is that no one can track it so they don't have to pay their taxes well that's why the governments around the world are in an uproar if everybody paid their taxes you're talking about a 300 billion dollar uh, industry at this point that's a lot of tax revenue around the world and that's why countries like korea china um, russia have said we want our own currency i recently was on the phone with a with with a government official from a, another country who basically said look we want this one coin not one coin but this particular coin to be our national coin and we want to promote it because they want to get if they're promoting it they're getting the tax revenue from it and that's that's the big concern i mean it's it's huge revenue lost to governments so you know that's that's always the determining factor for these governments right and you get the conspiracy side of it thinking that okay now the government just wants to track everything so they can determine whether i'm eating cheetos or not you know for my insurance company the loss of privacy and things like that so i i i i get the whole concept of the cryptocurrency the blockchain obviously the technology behind it and the fascination and i really do think it's going to change the way people do a lot of things relative to the economies and and spending and moving money around um but it does it's not a good fit for mlm like cryptocurrency by itself 
is not really a great fit because it seems to bring out the worst in the schemes behind MLM. So are there any instances or some instances where maybe the concept of cryptocurrency or blockchain might have a fit in the MLM world when done right? So sure. do we have any examples? Uh, probably not that I should give. On, okay. on here because I have it currently. I think I have eight to ten clients in crypto, and mm-hmm. several with a model that probably needs to change. That I'm trying to tell them to change. Others with a model that I think is perfectly legal, that mm-hmm. is not that does not meet the Howey standards and is being done legitimately. So excellent. Yeah, there there are ways to do it. It's just that. Well, there, I mean, if the the Howie just to avoid the prongs of the Howie test, or to register as a security, and I know there are crypto companies doing that right now that are trying mm-hmm. to get registered. If they're registered, then then you're fine, and it would be a very good model for an MLM. You know, it would have to be an MLM with deep pockets willing to go out and register their their opportunity, but right, it could so be done. Okay. I'm guessing registering with the SEC to do something like this is not something you fill out an application online and pay a 49.95 fee. There's no, probably no. A, hundreds of thousands yeah, of dollars. So that's probably some of the things that keep people from registering with the SEC because of the cost factor, the time factor, the uh, they're going <laughs> to make sure it's right, you know, make sure it's real. They're not going to just approve you just because you pay. Um, so it, there's got to be that whole business model has to be right with it as well. So it's a complicated issue. So therefore, any typical company that comes straight out of the gate um, with a couple of jamokes running it, you know, then the typical MLM seems like Ponzi scammers that say, oh, no, no, we're registered with the SEC. I probably need to see the documentation to make sure that was right. Well, if you register with the SEC, it's public. So right. you you would know. And if any of – that's another one of those big red flags. If anybody says we're approved by the SEC or we're approved by the government, we're approved by anybody, that, you just turn around and walk away because no government agency approves anyone. Got it. Okay. Uh, so th- this has been great. Um what do you think are some of the predictions moving forward on what might happen to, like, people associated with companies like USI Tech? Do you think they're just going to lose their money, going to walk away, and they're a whole bunch of suckers? Or do you think the government actually might come after them? Like, do you think there's a possibility of a receiver, like they've done in other things? Do you think there's a possibility of some prosecution? Or you just don't know it's too soon to tell? Well, there's nothing to be a receiver of because it's okay. all vapor. So Got it. there are no hard assets. So that won't probably happen. Um, if if there are it, – it's so there's so many different crypto ways that it could be done that will change that, that answer. But mm-hmm. if they are um, selling hardware, then the government probably make, does whatever they can to help the individual people get their hardware. If they are selling vapor and air, they probably just shut them down, and if they feel that it's egregious, they prosecute. Otherwise, it's gone. It's just air, and it's gone. So, so for you know, the, the, government loses the, the government loses their appetite for prosecution and when there's nothing for them to gain. So Right. Right. Yeah, it's not like they're going to be able to go get a coin – like um, and be able to you know take that coin like they did with a few other you know exchanges and stuff like that, where they'll be able to take the coin and then resell it. It's it's not there. There's nothing right, there. Right. Exactly. So exactly. excellent information. Excellent information. Okay. Good. So I I kind of help guide this one. Is there anything that you want to bring up? And just as a friendly reminder for those people listening in, remember Scott's written a book. This is Scott Warren. He's an attorney with his law firm w-wlaw.com wrote a book, Schemes and Scams. You could buy it through his website or through Amazon. Is there anything else you want to bring up? No, that's it. Great information and, and timely information. So if um, – uh, I guess 
what would be nice, of course, if, if we go through this, if there's other new developments, we'll bring you back, or if there's anything else you want to talk about. But um, part of the challenges, I think, associated with this, Scott, is this is going to take the air out of the hopes of a lot of people in the MLM industry or the MLM space or whatever it is, home-based business. I think this, these types of issues really do kind of gut-punch people they lose their breath, they lose their money, and then I think they're gone. So do you want yep. to talk at all about the destructive nature of a scam? Like it's besides just losing the money, they lost, you know, the industry lost a customer. So do you yeah, want to yeah. talk I mean, about People that? are disheartened and, and you know, they're, they're never going to come back, but these people don't care. The people that are doing it don't care because they'll just churn through and find more. So it's, it's, I think it's more destructive to the individual for their whole life. You know, it's, it's wiping people's life savings out because they're not thinking it through and they're just throwing money into whatever. That That's not smart. I mean, you've got to take right. charge of your own investment and your own life first before you can really count on anybody else to take care of you. There we go. Okay, perfect. All right, so thanks for uh, thanks for listening in. If you're listening live, this is Scott Warren. My name is Peter Mingles. You can find Scott's information on w-wlaw.com and his book, Schemes and Scams. So, Scott, thanks for being here. We're going to catch you next time. Thanks for having thanks, me. Thanks, everybody. All right, I'll you're talk welcome. To you soon. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Building Fortunes Radio on buildingfortunesradio.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check us out every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time for the designated Building Fortunes Radio segment with Peter Mingle. Be sure to check out the buildingfortunesradio.com website for our featured segments. It's been our privilege to have you listen in. At Building Fortunes Radio, we wish you the success you deserve and are willing to work for. So spread the word, tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world.